Good morning, church. Always a pleasure to be with you all. This morning, uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. So we're going to look at the Corinthian church uh, this morning. As you remember, last week, uh, Pastor Joel preached uh, in Acts chapter 18, and he uh, talked about the Corinthians. The Apostle Paul established the church at Corinth. He spent a little over a year there planning the church, strengthening the church through his preaching, uh, through his teaching. Now, the city of Corinth was a cosmopolitan city. So think modern-day New York City, a place where many different cultures, many different religions mingled together. It was the city, it was the center of commerce, travel, business. The who's who during that time passed through Corinth. Now, the church at Corinth was far from a perfect church. If you have this idea in your head this morning that you're going to find the perfect church here on earth, just read through 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. And that idea of the perfect church will be quickly put to rest. But it's amazing that at the beginning of his letter, Paul still calls them saints, holy ones. So this morning we're going to look at this church. 1 Corinthians chapter 26, I mean chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. I'll read it, and then we'll pray and ask God's help to help us understand uh, this passage. So starting in verse 26, it reads this way. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise, according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Father, Lord, we thank you uh, for your word. God, we thank you for this part of the service, Lord, which is the most important part, hearing your word. So, God, I pray that you would give me grace to communicate your word clearly. I pray, God, that you would open up the ears of the people and that they would receive your word, that we would all receive your word, even me as I declare it, for what it really is, and that is truth. And I pray that we would accept this truth, that we would respond to these verses with humility. May it produce in us humility. And may we find our boast, not in ourselves, but only in you. It's in Christ Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So I want to speak to you uh, from this theme. Your boasting is not good. Your boasting is not good. If you were to look up the word boast in the dictionary, you would probably find a definition such as this. To talk with excessive pride, self-satisfaction about one's achievements, 
possessions, abilities. You see, in this day and age, we live in this, this social media age, where I think social media has given us this platform just to, to show and tell others just how, how, how great we are, how great our lives appear to be, how smart we are as we engage in these different debates online, how beautiful we look. As the definition says, the source of boasting is excessive pride. Excessive pride in oneself. Well, church, what do you tend to boast in? Are you the type that boasts in your possessions, your looks, maybe your ethnic background, culture? Maybe you boast in your marriage or your singleness. Do you boast in a particular uh, affiliation with a, a certain political party? Do you boast in your personality, your wealth, your abilities? Church, what do you boast in? Now, the correct answer to that question should be God. But you see, we're sinful beings, and we always boast in everything but God. We boast in the created things rather than the creator. As we take a look at our text this morning, the Corinthians church, they fell into this sin. They were filled with pride and arrogance, and this caused them to be divided instead of united. The church at Corinth had begun to look a lot like the culture around them. Little cliques had begun to form around certain individuals. As we see in verse 12 of chapter 1, some of the members were going around saying, well, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, I follow Jesus. So Paul reminds them, like, look, Christ is not divided. Apollos, Cephas, Paul, they didn't die for the Corinthian sins. Church, myself, Mike Roach, Joel, we did not die for your sins, and we couldn't. You see, the Corinthians had adopted the world's wisdom or the world's way of thinking. The world values outward appearances. People who think in a worldly way, they tend to boast and glory in themselves or other people. The world tends to put people on a pedestal. Just think about the culture today, how we exalt celebrities, athletes, entertainers. And even in the Christian world, we can fall victim to this when we exalt our Christian leaders. I heard this quote say once, the best of men are just men. The best of men are just men. Now, I'm a big Denzel Washington fan, right? I think he's the best actor. But as great, as great an actor as Denzel Washington is, at the end of the day, he's just a man. Right? He's just human. Let me tell you this, church. Do not put me on a pedestal. I will let you down. If I haven't failed you already, hang with me long enough, I will let you down. You see, the Corinthians have fallen victim to the world's wisdom. At Corinth, worldly wisdom was present up and down the streets, in the lecture halls. People were always passing through with the latest philosophy. To quote one of the popular catchphrases of the day, it says this, the wise man is king, and to the wise man all things belong. So you see the apostle Paul, he rejected 
this worldly wisdom. Paul goes on to contrast the world's wisdom, the way the world thinks, with God's wisdom. And this is what we're going to see in this passage, with how God thinks. And I love the way he does it. He points the Corinthians, he takes them right back to the gospel. We see in verse 18, he reminds them that the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing. Well, just who is it that is perishing? Well, it's those who think like the world, those who follow the world system, those who are wise in their own eyes. Paul goes on to, to remind the Corinthians how the gospel is a stumbling block, both to the Jew and the Greek, and that through worldly wisdom, no human being has ever come to know God. You see, it pleased God through the preaching of the gospel, to the message that we preach, to make himself known and to save those who believe. Now, when was the last time you actually stopped and examined what we believe as Christians? I think this is something that we should do often. You know, that's why we make it a point to include in our worship services uh, creeds that we often recite. Creeds are just a summary of what Christians have believed throughout church history, all the way up until this present day. So we read these creeds to be reminded, to express our faith. So I want to read briefly from the Nicene Creed. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I do want to read some parts of it. It reads this way. It says this. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence as the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. Third day he rose again according to the scriptures. He ascended to heaven and, and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom will have no end. Now, if I was a non-Christian, which I once was, and someone just read the Nicene Creed, or someone shared the gospel with me, my response to what, I, to, to what we just read would probably be, you mean to tell me that God, the creator of this world, took on human flesh, he was born through this miraculous birth, through the Holy Spirit, through a virgin, became a baby, grew up, lived, died, was raised three days later, went back to heaven, and one day he's going to come back to save those who believe, to save those who hope in him. Church, do you know how foolishness that stuff sounds? Do you know that that stuff sounds like fairy tales, bedtime stories, urban legends? To your non-Christian co-workers, family members, classmates, friends, neighbors, that stuff sounds like foolishness. And we look like the biggest fools on the planet because we believe it. 
And why do you think that is? Like, why do you think this, this message is so foolishness? Well, it's because they are perishing. Well, why do you believe? Well, you believe because you're being saved. Even though the gospel message is considered foolishness by the world, it is wiser than the world's wisdom. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men. We see as a way to humble the Corinthians, Paul, he reminds them of their call to salvation through the gospel. And this call that Paul is referring to in verse 26, he's not talking about the, the general call to salvation. Remember when Jesus said, many are called, but only few are chosen. Paul is talking about the effectual call, that call, that inward call by the Holy Spirit that, that tugs on a person, that convicts them, that brings them to faith and repentance. This is what Paul is referring to in verse 26. So he wants them to consider their call to salvation. But the main point of this passage of my sermon is this. The gospel message humbles prideful people because in it, it reveals the greatness of God, his wisdom, his power, all the while highlighting our mediocrity. Brothers and sisters, we have no grounds to boast before God. Therefore, let us make our boast in him. As we look at these verses, verses 26 to 31, I want us to consider our own calling to salvation. And I want us to ponder this question. Why did God choose to save you? Why did he choose to save a wretch like you? As we examine this question, I think we will be humbled by these verses. I think we will respond by boasting not in ourselves, but in the Lord. Three points I want to share with you and I'll be out of your way. First one is this. God didn't choose to save you because you are wise. God didn't choose to save you because you are wise. I recently looked up the requirements for Harvard University. Go figure, right? Like, I wasn't smart enough to get into Harvard. My kids, they're pretty smart, so that might be down the line. I was amazed that they have a 4.7% acceptance rate. 4.7. So that means out of 100 applicants, only five getting in. Just five. So they're very selective. You must meet their GPA and SAT requirements. That's just to get past the first round of filters to prove that you have what it takes to succeed. Get this, the GPA requirements, 4.18. You know, I didn't realize that, I thought 4.0 was like the highest. I'm like, so you can tell like my grades was never really near, near four, I, you might find me in the threes, you know. Not, not 4.18. SAT requirements, composite score, 1520. That's on the 1600 scale. That's almost perfect. Like, you almost have to be the perfect student to get in there. They pick the best of the best minds. Those who get accepted, they can boast that they have met the requirements to get in. If you are an average student, you will not get accepted into Harvard. I'm so thankful that the requirements for salvation are not like Harvard standard. 
I'm so thankful that God does not require us to prove how wise we are. Church, it is wrong to assume that the brightest minds know the most about God. It is wrong to assume that because you hold a certain number of degrees, because you read a number of books, because you can hold your own in the latest debate on critical race theory, that you somehow know the most about God. God can't be found or known through human wisdom, but only through the message of the cross. Now, this doesn't mean that Christians are not smart people. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't use our minds. But it does mean that those who think that they're smart in their own eyes, they tend to have no regard for God. One theologian said this, human wisdom is constantly rejecting God and opposing him and ultimately showing itself foolish and perishing in doing so. You see, human wisdom rejects the idea of a crucified Messiah. Human wisdom rejects the idea that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Human wisdom rejects the idea that faith alone in Christ is enough. Listen to what the Apostle Paul says here in the first part of verse 26. He says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Paul reminds the Corinthians that you guys weren't impressive. You guys didn't have what it takes to get in the harbor. You guys weren't writing books, dissertations, and all of that stuff. You see, the world exalts those who are the brightest and the most intellectual, those who are wise in their own eyes, those who think in a worldly way. God doesn't work that way. God wasn't excited by their wisdom. Kids in the room, God is not excited by your ability to get all A's. He's not impressed by your ingenuity. Look at verse 27. Paul says, God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. According to God, the Corinthians were fools. They couldn't boast that their salvation was due to the fact that they were wiser than everyone else. God chose them to shame the wise. I don't want you guys to misunderstand this. God is not saying that we should all be fools and uneducated. But the world's wisdom, the world's education, will never lead you to saving faith in Jesus. This is what Jesus meant back in Matthew chapter 11, verses 25 through 26, when he says this, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this way was well-pleasing in your sight. God was pleased to save the foolish Corinthians. He was pleased to save us, foolish humans, with the purpose of destroying human wisdom. Church, are you trusting in your own wisdom? Are you still being held captive by the newest human philosophy or the newest theory that you see on YouTube, Facebook, or that you heard on some podcast? Or are you submitting to the wisdom of God found in the gospel of Jesus Christ? To believe in Jesus is to be truly wise. Although we might be considered foolish by the world's standards because we believe in Jesus, we might be considered foolish because we are committed to following Jesus no matter what, yet we are considered wise in God's eyes. 
God, through the gospel, has transformed those who are fools, and he has made them wise. So, church, is your life is it marked by this kind of wisdom? There are only two paths that you can travel. The path of wisdom, the path of, uh, the, the path of uh, foolishness, folly. What path are you on? The path of foolishness will lead to your destruction. It will lead to your destruction. But the path of wisdom, there you will find life. There you will find Christ. So as we move on, second point that I see here in this passage is this. God didn't choose to save you because you are powerful. God didn't choose to save you because you are powerful. You see, every so often, Forbes, they rank the most, uh, most powerful or influential people in the world. And there's a criteria that go into these rankings. Those who make these lists are evaluated in these four areas. So economic power, that would be like someone's net worth. Command, the, the, the level of influence that they have. Newsworthiness, just how often they make the news. And then impact how important this person is in their respective field. And I'm always curious to know, of all the people who make it onto these Forbes lists, I wonder how many would even profess to be Christian? Or to take it a step further, how many are genuine Christians? I'm going to go out on a limb here, and these are just my thoughts. I would probably say that the majority of these people on these lists are probably not Christians. You might say, well, how can you say that? Well, verse 26, Paul reminds us that God doesn't choose to save a person because of the level of power or influence they have in the world. For it says in verse 26, not many were powerful. Not many had uh, influence. The Corinthians didn't have a lot of power in the Roman Empire. They weren't the type to be considered for the Forbes list. Brothers and sisters, I think it's safe to say that no one in here has been on the Forbes list. If you have, see me at the church. We're still in need of a building, and we could greatly use your resources. Look, church, the number of followers you have on social media, the number of likes on your posts, how great you are in your field of work, none of these things were taken into consideration when God chose to save you. Look at the second part of verse 27. It reads this way. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. You see how God works? If you are a Christian here today, that means God chose to save a weak individual such as yourself. God didn't look down and say, man, I sure could use someone like the Corinthians. I sure could use Troy Waller. I sure could use Kevin Greer. I sure could use Bonita Hill. They would just add so much value to my kingdom if I can save them. The kingdom of God would just be that much better if I can save them. God didn't say that. He said the exact opposite. He says, I'm going to save them because they are weak. Church, do you see the wisdom of God on display and the power of the gospel? The world values those who are powerful. But God says, nope, I'm going to save those who are weak, those who are on the margins of society, those who have no value or influence in society, those who are broken, sick, and wounded. 
And I'm going to say them. Who can we liken to God? You see, his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. I see what Paul meant when he said in Romans chapter 11, Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. Look, we should be in total awe of God's ways. So as we think through that question, why did God choose to save us? Well, first, he reminds us that it wasn't because we, we are wise. Secondly, it wasn't because we were powerful. And thirdly, my third point I want to share with you is this. It's not because you are great. God didn't choose to save you because you are great. Noble birth, as Paul mentions, it characterizes those who are, who are great. Whether they had great talent, great wealth, great ability, those who are great according to worldly standards. You see, in basketball, players like Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Steph Curry, when their NBA playing careers are over, they will be first ballot Hall of Famers. Right, that's a fact. To get in the Hall of Fame, you can't be an average player. Only great players making it to the Hall of Fame. Players like Bill Winnington, DJ Mabinga, you ever heard of those players? Probably not, because they're average players. There was nothing great about them, right? To get into the Hall of Fame, you have to have the accolades, the achievements necessary to make it in. And normally at these induction ceremonies, players will boast in, you know, how great they are, their achievements, their accolades. God could care less about your greatness in this world. Remember, he says, at the end of verse 26, Paul says, not many were of noble birth. Not many were great. Look, the Corinthians didn't hold a high rank in society. Their salvation wasn't because they were the elite of society. Verse 28 reads, God shows what is low and despising the world, even things that are not to bring to nothing things that are. These Corinthians were considered low, and despised. They were considered nothing. They didn't have a great name in society. You know, it's a shame when we as Christians actually despise those that are considered low in society, those on the margins of society. We think to ourselves, you know, this world would be a better place if we can just get rid of the, these troubled teenagers, if we can just get rid of the drug dealers, the drug addicts, if we can get rid of the squeegee kids, get rid of the homeless, man, how wrong do we have it at times? God delights to reach down and save individuals like that. He loves to save those who are not great according to worldly standards. If you're not a Christian today, please don't make the mistake and think that you have to do great things for God to notice you. We have to get this false idea out of our minds that only the articulate, only the gifted, only the wealthy, only the powerful, only those who have influence, only those who live in a certain zip code matter to God. Church, that's just not true. It's false. 
You don't have to have the best resume. You don't have to live in the best neighborhood. You don't have to have it all together. God sees you and he can meet you where you are. Look, don't try to earn your salvation, but trust in him. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved. Church, why does God choose to work in this way? Why does God choose to save those who are not wise, to save those who are not powerful, to save those who are not great? Well, the answer is found in verse 29. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God is determined to root out all human pride. God works in this way to glorify himself. God gets all the glory for our salvation. Look at the first part of verse 30. And this is important. Don't miss this. It reads this way. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Can we, can we read that together? It says, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Now, as I shared with you earlier, I didn't have the requirements to get in Harvard, right? So I'm not the brightest, but I can read. In verse 30, <laughs> verse 30 says, and because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. So it doesn't say because of your ingenuity, because of your resourcefulness, because you pay tithes, because you spoke in tongues, because you prayed a prayer, because you know the doctrine of justification, because you joined the church, because you hold a position in the church, because you were baptized, because you take communion, because you're wealthy, because you're poor. It doesn't say because you have faith, but it says because of him. You are in Christ Jesus. Because of God. So that means you didn't do anything to earn your salvation. It was God's doing. Well, if we didn't do anything to earn it, why are we so filled with pride and arrogance as if we did? Why do we boast in the things that the world boasts in? Exactly, on Debbie Fools. Why do we boast in these things? Church, because of God's grace given to us, this is why we are in Christ Jesus. This is why we are Christians. Look, God resists the proud. He delights in those that are humble. And as I recall, that was not one more humble than the Lord Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, and I'm going to read it. You don't have to turn there, but I do want you to listen. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 6, it says this. Who, though he was in the form of God, talking about Christ, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him. And bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Brothers and sisters, God has given special position 
and honor only to his son. Jesus has become everything to us. According to verse 30 of our text, God has made Jesus our wisdom, our righteousness, and sanctification and redemption. No longer should we be worried about our place in this world. No longer should we be concerned with achieving a certain status. No longer should we be concerned with being wise, great, and powerful according to worldly standards. No longer should we rely on human wisdom. Church, true wisdom is knowing Jesus Christ. It's being found in Jesus Christ. According to Paul, to be truly wise in this world is to be righteous, is to be sanctified, is to be redeemed. This is God's work. This is true wisdom. This is the opposite. This is opposite the wisdom of the world. If you are truly, if you're truly wise, you will follow God's ways and not the way of the world. If you are truly wise, you will humble yourself before the crucified Messiah. You will repent of relying on yourself, relying on worldly assets. Church, if you are truly wise, make your boast in the Lord. For as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Church, we have to be determined to declare that we will not boast in anything, no gifts, no power, no wisdom. But may we boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. Why should we gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Have his wounds paid him ransom this morning? If that is true, may you boast me in him this morning. Amen? Father, we thank you for being the God of all grace for being the God of our salvation. God, we thank you for choosing to save us. We couldn't do anything to earn the salvation that we have received. So we praise you. We boast in you today. We bow before the cross of Jesus Christ, for he is our wisdom, our righteousness, our sanctification, our redemption. And we give you all the glory and honor today. For we see your work and we can say with the psalmist that it is marvelous in our sight. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.